Are you looking to grow your real estate investing business? Fortune Cribs can help. Fortune Cribs helps investors buy short-term rentals in select markets around the country for as little as 10% down with cash on cash returns in the 20 to 30% range. Fortune Cribs will design, furnish, and manage all the day-to-day -day operations, making your experience truly hands-off. And it doesn't matter where you're at in your real estate investing journey, whether you're trying to get your first deal or scale your portfolio, Fortune Cribs can help. So if you want to take the next step, go to fortunecribs.com and book your free consultation to see how Fortune Cribs can best help you. Once again, that's fortunecribs.com. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Nichols, and today our guest is Jim Pfeiffer, and together we are this week's Two Smart Assets. For those who are not yet familiar with Jim, he is one of the founders of Left Field Investors, a group dedicated to educating, assisting like-minded investors negotiate the nuances of the passive investing landscape and world of syndications. He is a former financial advisor who became frustrated with the one-path-fits-all approach of the standard financial services industry and now concentrates on investing in real assets that produce cash flow and is committed to sharing his knowledge with others who are interested in learning a different way to grow wealth. Jim, my man, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. Man, super excited to have you on the show. Uh, kind of had a little delay there getting you on, but glad we get you on today. You know, typically we kick this thing off by diving more into your background, how you got into real estate investing. But before we do that, you know, I got a question. I'm curious about the name of your company, Left Field Investors. Is there a story behind that name or is it just something you're just a big baseball fan? No, it's funny. People think we're baseball fans and, and none of us are. Um, <laughs> the, the way we came up with that was, uh, you know, I used to be a financial advisor, as you mentioned in the intro. And, you know, when I started getting into passive investing, most of my uh, financial advising colleagues would always say, oh, Jim, you're way out in left field there doing this crazy alternative investments. And to me, that's crazy. The crazy thing is they think that, you know, investing in real estate, a house or the place you go to work or the place you store your stuff, they think that's alternative. Um, to me, it, it's not. So that's where right. we came up with the name. And we had, we had all kinds of ideas we were throwing out, but left field investors just kind of, kind of fit our, our group. I love it. I love it. I think, and that's a great story, right? You're doing the alternative investments and it just kind of stuck. So I, I think it's awesome, man. I love it. So, so let's circle back a bit. You know, you kind of talked, you being a financial advisor, Tell us more about your background, your story, and the path you took to get to where you are today in your real estate investing career. Yeah. So, you know, when I talk to people and they ask me, you know, what, where, what has my career been? I, I usually say I've been in finance for, for 30 years, but as I've thought more about it, um, it's kind of been, I've been in education and finance the whole time. I, I started uh, working for a, a, a business and, um, you know, I did a lot of education there uh, of the educating the new people that came to work with us. And then um, I switched to being a, a teacher, a high school teacher teaching um, finance to uh, kind of the Columbus City schools in Ohio, where I live. And it was more like a life skills, but it was still education, still a little bit finance. And then I became a financial advisor. And that's all about finance, obviously, but it's also about educating your clients about you know where they should put their money. So it's always been about education. And as I kind of move through, you know, I'm, I'm now on, I guess, career number four, where I, I had some active real estate while I was a financial advisor. And, and that in that period, I was really learning a lot about money. And the more I learned about money and finance, and again, I've been investing in the stock market for 30 years, so I thought I knew it all. But the more I learned about how money works, the more I thought, what am I doing with these paper assets? I want to be in real estate. So I did some active stuff for a while and then went 100% passive, mostly through syndications. And that's when you know I couldn't uh, rec uh, recommend to my clients to invest in the stock market and paper assets when I was putting all my money into hard assets. So I realized that you know I couldn't continue being a financial advisor. And that's when I went full-time passive investing and kind of stumbled into uh, 
creating a group that's now left field investors. And, um, and that, that's what I do full time. I invest on my own and, uh, and run this community. Well, you know, that's, that's quite the path you've taken there to get to where you are today, right? And you, you learned a lot, obviously, from your experience. And I want to talk about that experience for a little bit, because, you know, uh, just like you said, and even in your bio, we said you became frustrated with the standard investing model that's pushed in the financial services industry, right? And so I kind of want to give a little bit more context to that. You know, what does that investing approach look like to somebody maybe who's, you know, receiving those services? And I know you said you were active in real estate during the time, but were you also following the strategy yourself uh, that you were giving to other people about paper assets and stuff like that? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why I left is because I could no longer, like I always put my money wherever I was putting my clients' money. So if I came Mm -hmm. up with a new investment idea for them, I put money into it because I wanted to, you know, eat what I'm cooking. I wanted to be authentic with, with my clients. And when I finally got to the point where I wasn't comfortable putting my own money into paper assets. I figured, you know, I, I shouldn't do that with my clients either. And as a financial advisor, you can't recommend real estate to your clients uh, for a couple of reasons. One, you're not licensed for it. Two, you, you wouldn't be in business long because you don't make they don't make any money recommending those. And part of it is the Wall Street machine, the advertising. That's why everybody puts money into the 401k or into mutual funds or stocks or whatever, is because they're familiar with it because it's constantly advertised to them, right? And, and that's why they call what we do alternative investing because they, they want it to seem like it's outside the norm. And what I realized is there's paper assets and there's real assets. And paper assets to me is um, it's speculation, right? Because mm-hmm. you are hoping, you're buying something and you don't receive any income for it, Generally, you might receive a small dividend or something, but you generally don't receive any income. You buy it at one price and you're hoping to hold it long enough that you can sell it to somebody else for a higher price, right? So you always have to have someone who's going to buy it for more. And there's, there's no tangible asset there. It's just a piece of paper. When you go into you know, buying a, a piece of real estate, you're buying it. You're also hoping it goes up, but you're taking cash flow while you're holding it. You also can affect the cash flow by improving the property in some way. So even if the market doesn't recognize that doesn't go up or doesn't recognize an increase in value, you can increase the cash flow from that asset. And that will naturally also increase the price regardless of what the market has done. And to me, that's speculation versus investing. Paper assets are more speculative and um, hard assets are actual investing. And there's a place for both, but the bulk, 95% of what you're doing in my mind should be investing in real assets to produce cash flow. And if you want to speculate, I speculate all the time, but only a small amount of my portfolio goes into Bitcoin or into the stock market or, or into all that stuff because I, I believe that uh, real assets produce cash flow is the, is the place to be. Well, and I appreciate you breaking that down. And I totally agree, by the way. And uh, But I appreciate you kind of breaking it down into speculating versus investing because there's, obviously there's a difference, right? And I really appreciate even more the fact that you said there is a, basically a time and a place for both of those, right? And uh, you know, being in real assets, is uh, the advantages are very clear, right? But there's also a, a place for, for speculating, right? Um, like you said, 5% of probably your portfolio allocation goes to um, to um to doing that kind of investing. And I think that's it's important for a lot of people to hear, right? Because you see people all over the spectrum, right? But uh, if you're investing in cash flow and real assets, I mean, to me, there's nothing better than that. And I think we're on the same page there. So, uh, so you know, you kind of got out of the financial advisor role and you moved into real estate. You said you'd done some active stuff before. And just for clarification, when you moved out of the financial advisor role and went into, you know, going to real estate full-time, was that you were still going to do some more uh, active stuff or was that full-time passive? It was full-time passive. I kind of did the active stuff while I was advising. 
um, as, as I learned more about real estate, I, I thought I wanted to be an active investor. And what I realized as I transitioned into passive was I wasn't very good at being an active investor because I was trying to do it kind of passively, right? I wasn't managing my own properties. I was hiring a property manager and I didn't do a very good job. I was, I was managing the properties, the assets incorrectly. And what I figured out is for someone like me, who's buying turnkey properties, which are allegedly passive, or I bought a couple of small multifamilies and had a property manager run it so it could be passive. Those aren't passive. You're an asset manager. You have to manage the property manager. And my property managers weren't doing a good job. And in some cases, I was getting in the way and not letting them do a good job. And I was saved by the market, right? The market just increased. I wasn't making as much cash flow as I projected on these properties. But because, I mean, you can't be in the last 10 years, there's no losing on property or very little, right? So the markets went up and I was able to sell for a, a pretty good gain. And that's when I switched to passive because what I realized, if I, if I hire someone through syndication, hire an asset manager and they do everything, they hire the property manager, they manage the property manager and they're a professional asset manager. This is all they do all day long. Well, I'm going to get better results than if I'm trying to do it myself. Now, if you are going to be an active investor and you're going to be the property manager or you're going to be really hands-on, then I think you might be able to outperform or at least equal um, a passive syndication. But if you're not going to quit your W-2 and go in and be a full-time real estate person, then I don't think you're going to beat the returns of syndications. And once I figured that out, I decided to go full-time passive. And, and when you say full-time passive, it's only passive after you send the wire, right? Sure. Because then you're just receiving information and hopefully cash flow. Before that, you have to do all kinds of stuff to analyze the sponsor, analyze the deal, analyze the market. It's very active until the moment you hit send on that wire, then, then you're passive. So I think it's not really passive investing. But yeah. And that's a great point, right? Because there is a lot of work that leads up to a passive investment, right? You kind of got to know what you're doing. You got to know how to bet a sponsor in the market, the deal itself, right? And uh, do all those things. And those take a lot of work, especially if you've never done it before, right? Or if you're yeah. just new to it in general. And I love the point also that you brought out about, you know, maybe you're investing in single family or a turnkey property or small multifamily or something like that. And you want to go in and you make it passive. Well, the truth is it's never really going to be fully passive. Not like investing in a syndication, right? Which is, right. I mean, again, it's it's not passive up to a point, but again, once you once you place the capital, it's passive, right? You're getting that that mailbox money. So uh, I appreciate you going to that because that's a it's a great distinction to make. So you know you're a full time passive investor. How many passive deals have you been a part of in your career? Well, it, it it's hard to say exactly because it's going to sound like a big number. It, it's probably close to sixty. But oh. I also use a company called Tribevest um, that is is heavily uh, linked with our with our group at Leftfield Investors. And they basically just make it easy to invest in a group, right? They they put it's a it's just an online platform that helps you form an LLC, get a group together, uh, commingle your money, and then and then invest in different syndications. But what it does is it reduces the minimums, right? Because mm -hmm. if there's a minimum of fifty thousand dollars, you know how many of those deals can you do a year? You could do a few maybe if you have the cash. But if you then instead split it up with five other or four other people, so there's five people in your group. Now you just got to put 10,000 in for each deal. Well, you can do five times as many deals, right? So you get diversification. You also get the shared knowledge of your, your community. You have a group where you can talk stuff over. So um, I'm probably in about 60 deals and I don't know, probably 20 or 30 of those are, are through Tribe Best Tribes. I'm in a bunch of different tribes where I invest with other people. 
Okay, that's really interesting. You know, I, we haven't heard of that on the sh- on the show yet. And so, uh, in terms of that, you know, um, are you still receiving the same benefit? Say, I'm placing my money in a, a regular syndication, fifty thousand uh, initial investment. There, are you still through Trivest? Are you still receiving the same type of benefits, the depreciation, the cash flow, the, all that stuff? Is it the is yeah. it basically the same? It is because you're investing through a multi-member LLC. So, okay. and that's just a pass-through entity. So, the only kind of hiccup is you're investing in an LLC through an LLC. So you have a little bit of K1 issue, right? You get a K1 from the syndicator that goes to your LLC. Then you got to do a tax return for your LLC that kicks a K1 down to you personally. So it's just another layer. But um, you know that kind of complication, I think, is, is outweighed by the benefits of um, just you know, allowing you to get into more deals, re- reducing the minimum, and, and having additional diversification. Yeah, I'd love to hear that, man. That's a great point. I'll definitely be looking more into that. I know our listeners will be as well. So in terms of the passive investments that you've made, are you concentrated mostly in one asset class or are you diversified over a variety of asset classes? I'm in a lot of different asset classes, but you know, I'm in more multifamily than anything else, as most people are, because that's where you start. That's how you get into this kind of ecosystem. And so you start investing in multifamily and then you learn, oh, there's other assets. There's mobile homes, there's self-storage, there's ATMs, there's triple net leases. I mean, there's a ton of different things you can get into. So at first, when I didn't really know what I was doing, it was just a shotgun approach, right? I'd meet somebody and say, hey, here's some money, um, go invest it for me. And now I'm a lot more particular in where I put my money, with who I put my money and and all that. But yeah, I'm in a lot of different asset classes. And now I'm consciously thinking, okay, when I have some money, where do I want to put it based on where I already have the bulk of my assets? Well, and that's kind of another question I want to ask you. So, you know, now that you're more aware of kind of where you want to put your money and, and allocate it, with that in mind, with the diversification in mind, are you intentionally allocating certain percentages or amounts of your portfolio to individual asset types? You know, whether it be multifamily or self storage, mobile home parks, like that. Are you are you allocating in a certain manner now? Um, not really. I, I want to be, and I want to get there. But part of the problem with sixty deals is it's hard to sort it out and figure out. You know especially with tribes, right? Because I'm not, the, I don't have the same ownership in each tribe best group. So that is a goal for 2022 is to figure out what my allocations actually are. And it's a little bit more complicated than probably it should be. But I don't know that I will ever have explicit percents. Like I want to have 20% in self-storage. I probably won't go to that detail, but I will look at everything and say, hey, you know, I have some capital here to allocate. And then I'll decide what what asset class I want to put it in. And part of that is based on what I'm already doing. But you know, I like to diversify in several ways. One is asset class, one is uh, geography, and another is the sponsor, right? So there's a lot of different factors that I that I look at when I'm trying to diversify. It's not just asset class. Okay. Yeah, I love to hear that. And that's that's a great point to make. You know, there's many different ways to diversify with within passive investments, right? And I think they're all important, right? And so uh, thank you for bringing that. And so, you know, you've been a part of many uh, passive investments and therefore, you know, it's pretty clear that you've had uh, accumulated a ton of experience basically finding and determining the best sponsors to invest with, right? And, you know, as a p- passive a fellow passive investor myself, we both know that it's the most important part of making a, an investment, right? Is that sponsor, right? So, uh, just for a little bit of time here, I'd like to hear more about your process for finding good sponsors. Are there any tips you'd give for someone who is in the process of maybe finding a sponsor on like basically how and where to find them? Yeah, ab- absolutely. That that was the, um, when I first started passive investing, I went to a uh, real estate guy syndication seminar because I thought I wanted to be a syndicator. And there I learned that I wanted to invest with other syndicators. I didn't want to be a syndicator, but I met a bunch of syndicators. And my initial uh, strategy for picking a sponsor was, 
hello, what's your name? You're a syndicator. Here's some cash, right? Because I had a, <laughs> I had an old 401k and I was just handing it out like, Let, let's go because I just wanted to, to do something. Um, that's, that's not the right way to go. And since then, I have learned that the sponsor is the most important and I choose very carefully. And I think the biggest lesson I've learned is to use a community, use your network. So right now, I, at first, I, after that syndication seminar, I was listening to podcasts, you know, looking it up online, just trying to find different syndicators. And I'd call them and talk to them and, and decide if I wanted to invest. But I found the better way is to use my community, right? Now, I almost will only invest with a new sponsor if they come to me recommended by someone that I know, like, and trust that is already invested with them. And there are exceptions because there's a, one of my favorite syndicators I I met, he cold cold called me through bigger pockets or something like that. And I looked at it for five days. I'm like, I'm not answering this guy. It's got to be a scam. And then I'm like, hey, this is what I'm doing full time. I, I have to respond. So I did. And now he's one of my favorite guys. So I don't want to lose the ability to find someone that way because that sponsor is a really good sponsor in my network. But going forward, you know, 90% of the deals I do are going to be with sponsors that I already know or somebody in my network has recommended to me. And I think that's because these are such illiquid assets, right? When you're investing, you're putting 50 grand into something and you have zero control. And it's going to be three, five, 10 years before you know if it was a good decision or not. So it's important to figure out the sponsor. And so another thing I do is when I screen the sponsors, I check for communication because that is the only thing, the only way you can figure out if your investment's doing well or not is communication. So we have a deal analyzer at Left Field Investors um, that kind of gives you, it's an Excel spreadsheet and, and you dump in the parameters, like 30 parameters and they, the cells turn red or green, whether it fits our parameters or not. And if it turns red, that doesn't mean don't invest. It means I ask a question. So mm -hmm. I, when I'm looking at a multifamily deal, I, I put the information in and then um, anything red, I'll write a, an email to the sponsor and I'll try to see what the response is. So I'm looking for a couple of things. First, I expect you to respond within 24 hours or give me a reason why you didn't, right? Because I want someone who's going to communicate with me before I send a check. Because if they, don't, if they don't do it before I send the wire, they're not going to do it after. And the other thing I'm looking for is quality of responses. I don't want someone to reply, hey, go watch the webinar. <laughs> I've already watched the webinar. I want to know, do you know this deal, right? And so I'm looking for quality responses. And then because I'm a little bit, I don't know, high maintenance is probably if you ask some of the sponsors, um, I start out high maintenance, then I get very low maintenance. But once they respond with those answers, I'm going to respond again with more questions. Even if I don't have any more questions, I'm going to make them <laughs> up. And the reason is I want to see, are they going to get annoyed because I'm high maintenance? And what I'm looking for is the guy who reads that second email and says, hey, can I give you a call? I want to talk this deal through with you. Or someone who answers it with you know more answer, answers my questions, right? So that's because it's such a long-term investment and it's so, so illiquid and you have no control, that's how I screen the sponsor. One is I let my community tell me who the good sponsors are. And two, I check for communication because that is the only way that I'm going to get news about these investments. There's a couple of my early investments when I was just spreading money around at that seminar. Um, you know, I haven't heard from the sponsors in years. And I don't know if the investment's doing good or not. Wow. And I can handle if an investment doesn't go well, if you're telling me every step along the way, here's what's happening. And you're willing to fix it, but even if you're if you're going to give me great returns in five years, but you don't talk to me for the first four years, I want no part of that type of investment, regardless of the return. So that's kind of how I look at sponsors and how I try to evaluate them. 
You know, I'm so glad you brought that up because communication is absolutely critical, right? And I think even even in the same vein is understanding who you are as an investor. If no communication doesn't bother you, okay. You know, that's just right. how it is. But like for, you know, for somebody like you, you like this communication and if you're not getting it, it's going to be a problem, right? And so finding absolutely. out whether how that's going to happen before you even place capital is probably going to be one of the biggest things you can do in this deal. And I love to hear that. And so in terms of, I know this can probably vary, but it, do you typically like to see more detailed communications or, or you know, maybe including financials and stuff like that, or does like a general overview of the progress of the business um, a model, does that suffice? Yeah, it, it does. It does. I, I don't need the financials. I'm not, I, there's some sponsors who send complete financials every month and that's great, but I don't look at them. That's their job. I, I trust See, once I get to the point where I'm investing, I've already decided that I trust them, that I that I think they're going to do a good job. So I'm not going to micromanage them and, and look at the financials and ask them, you know, what, what happened with with uh, taxes in in March of 2021 or whatever. I'm, I'm not going to do that. But I would like to see, you know, how's how's your business plan going? So a page, a, a couple paragraphs. Some, some send, you know, two paragraphs every month. Or every quarter. And that's fine with me. I just want to know that you're on top of it, that you're executing the business plan and that things are going well or things are not going well. I just want you to honestly communicate because that's the only link I have to that investment. And some of them, their only communication is here's your monthly distribution. Sure. And that's okay too. Each one is different. Um, and that, that's why when I'm screening these, I sometimes will ask for a sample communication that they've sent before. Or, you know, I think people feel pressure, right? You call them up, you talk to a sponsor for the first time, they send out their first deal and you think, oh my gosh, I have to invest. You shouldn't feel any pressure. I might go a year just watching all of their deals. And I tell them that up front. If it's somebody that isn't recommended by my network and I don't know them, but I would like to get to know them, I say, look, I'm going to look at all your deals for a year and I probably won't invest in any of them. And if they don't like that, then there's a thousand sponsors out there. I'm moving on, right? If I get answers I don't like, I'm moving on. So most of them say, yeah, I understood. I do the same thing. And if that's the case, then we just kind of get to know each other for a while because it's a lot of money you're putting in there. You should never feel pressure to invest with somebody. Sponsors understand that you need to get to know them first. And if they don't, that's not a sponsor I want to invest with. Absolutely. And that's a great point. I do have a question about communication, uh, kind of continuing this conversation. You know, we said at the beginning, you kind of front load it. You're, you're very communicative. You know, you're, you're asking all the questions. You're making sure the sponsor is right for you. And then, you know, as you, after you place capital, maybe that trails off a little bit and you, and you become very passive, right? Um, in, in the past, in the deals you've done, have there been, um, have you had to communicate with, uh, you know, syndicators much during the deal? Because I think, uh, you know, I've talked to a few passive investors about this and some of them basically just, they don't ask any questions, even if they have a concern, right? They're just like, hey, this is a passive deal. I'm just going to lay back low and see if it works out, right? Something like that. Do you find yourself communicating with syndicators? Maybe you see something that's maybe out of the normal to you or just you know, like during the deal? Yeah, absolutely. If I see something that that isn't what it was supposed to be, I'll ask whether it's on the upside or the downside. Um, I, I don't communicate if things are going well and I'm getting regular communications and, and everything's looking good. I, I don't. But if things aren't going well, I absolutely ask questions. Or if things are going better, I might say, "Hey, good job. What, what's what's happening here? Why why is my distribution so high?" Um, just because I want to know. But that, that's another thing. It, it it is supposed to be passive after you send that wire. But don't feel like you can't ask questions. You should. You're you're an owner of that investment, right? You own part of that LLC, you own part of that apartment or that self-storage unit. Um, so yeah, absolutely. You should ask questions if you have them. And most sponsors that I deal with, 
they they're happy to respond. And the few that aren't, I'm done. You know, this is my last investment with you. It's just that there's so many people out there doing this that you don't have to uh, stay in a relationship with someone that's treating you poorly. Sure, sure. That's a great point. And I appreciate you sharing that. I know a lot of our listeners will take away that uh, pretty well. That's uh, that's good stuff. So, you know, with all the investments you've been in and, you know, not necessarily, this is not in regards to just communication, but just the investments in general, but are there any stories you can share about passive investments that maybe didn't go as planned? And if so, can you tell us about those and what you learned from those experiences? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a couple. Um, the one that we've kind of been talking about, it was, you know, one of the first investments I did I, I haven't heard from them. I call them, I text them, I email them. And every six months they'll respond and say, oh, hey, yeah, we're going to start communicating and you're, you're going to love our communications. And, and they just don't. And they haven't been paying distributions like they said. And it's just been a disaster. And so finally they, had a, they put a new guy in charge and he called me up and said, oh, we're going to start communicating. And I'm like, I just don't believe you. And right. we, we had a conversation. I said, you're going to have to show me. And so far, you know, it's been, I was in November, so they've sent a December report and, uh, and, and they've done something at least, but I'll never invest with them again, regardless of how they turn it around, because it's been years where they haven't done anything. So that was one. The other one um, was where someone was a, uh, what was he, a, turn, a turnkey operator in Texas, and they did a great job, and, but the Texas market, Dallas, wasn't, uh, wasn't working for turnkeys anymore because prices had gone up. And so they decided to switch to office, uh, commercial office space and CBD equipment because it was back when the CBD was just going to be the net big next thing. And I was like, oh, they, they did turnkey. Great. So, of course, they're going to do everything else well. And it was a disaster. Lost money. Got some of the money back. Some of it I didn't. And what I learned there was I'm not investing with anybody who's trying something new. I'm not going to be your guinea pig. You do a couple of deals. Maybe I'll come back to it. And so that, that's one of my things is if you're switching asset classes, I'm out. Um, unless like one syndicator, they were a multifamily syndicator. They decided to get into self-storage. And I said, I'm not investing in self-storage with you. And then they said, well, we hired someone new who has 20 years of self-storage experience. And then I said, okay, I'll watch your first couple deals and I might get in it after that. But for, to me, I want to make sure that I'm investing with someone who's an expert in whatever asset class they're doing. And if they switch to something else, they either have to hire the ex- expertise or I'm just going to sit and watch them for a long time before I get comfortable with it because that's that's where I got burned before. You know, and the, throughout our conversation today here, Jim, the one thing I've really taken away from you is patience, right? And I think that's super critical in this because you got, like you said before, you come into some money, maybe it's from 401k or maybe you get, you know, something passed down to you um, and you kind of see this model of passive investing, you get excited, like I even place this capital right now and you just spray, spray and pray, right? And uh, yeah, but I, I think this idea of, you know, having the patience and watching a certain syndicator or sponsor or a number of them, right, for a year even, or just see how they, how they interact, see what's going on, stuff like that. It's massive, right? That's, it's not, it's not an approach I think most people would take. So to hear that, I think is, is great advice for anybody who's listening right now. So thank you for sharing yeah. that. Well, there, and, uh, there's two, just to jump in here, there, there's two things that I think are really hard in passive investing. One is sending your first wire, getting that first deal done because you're so nervous. Like, is this is this legit, right? So that's really hard. <laughs> the other hard thing is when you have a lump of new capital, right? It's really hard not to just immediately invest at all, right? If, so, if somehow you come across 200 grand under your mattress, right? You're going to want to get into four, eight deals, Yep. Right. But just to have the patience to say, you know what, I am going to get into four or eight deals, but over the next 18 months, you can't be afraid to have a little bit of cash 
so you can take the time to get the right investments. And I think that's critical. Absolutely critical, man. I, I really appreciate you sharing that. So, so that being said, talk to us more about Left Field Investors. What are you guys doing? What is your group all about? So Left Field Investors is really just an education and networking group. Uh, we started it because I was getting into passive investing and I, I had started in Columbus, Ohio, an active real estate group when I was doing that. And it really helped me out. So I thought, well, let's start a passive group. We were going to meet in Columbus. Uh, March 2020 happened and uh, we the pandemic and we went online and we've been online ever since. So we do monthly meetings and uh, we have a website that has a lot of information, a list of syndicators that we are familiar with and blogs and, and some, just some other stuff that... Uh, that passive investors, it, it might help them out. And then we have a, a membership group, uh, which we call the infield. And in the infield, there's the like the deal analyzer I talked about. There's a portfolio tracker, some sponsor screeners, some sponsor evaluation tools. And uh, one of the most popular things is there's a forum where people post, you know, everything that they're ta- we're talking about asset classes, about sponsors, about deals, about you know, even Bitcoin and, and some of our speculative stuff ends up in there. And and we're just, uh, our, our, our goal is to help people learn about passive investing and to be able to meet others who are in it. And we have people who are in over a hundred deals and we have people who are just trying to get into their first deal. So it's really broad. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm completely biased because it's it's my community, but it's, it's a really, uh, it's really down to earth group of people. And they're very helpful. And I would recommend whether it's left field investors or somewhere else, I think one of the keys to being a successful passive investor is being part of a community and building a network. So you have people to talk to, people to rely on, people to recommend deals and sponsors to you. And that's just critical. It doesn't have to be left field investors. I think left field investors is great. Um, but I would just recommend any community you find, find one that fits your personality, fits your style, and 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 join up and, and see what it's like. And, and I think that'll really help your investing. I know that I got into it thinking I was going to educate everybody about passive investing. And I have learned so much more than I've, than I've taught in this group. And uh, so I think that's critical to be part of a community. You know, I love to hear that. And, you know, just from being on your website the last few days and looking over it, I, it's, it's pretty obvious you guys are providing massive value to passive investors. And, you know, I'm excited to, you know, be a part of that as well, learning from you guys and, and more on that. So I think it's, it's awesome what you guys are doing, man. And uh, kudos to you and putting that together. So it's pretty cool. Uh, you know, before we get out of here, before we get out of here, though, I, I know you have a passive syndication masterclass that you're offering uh, that can be very helpful to many of our listeners. So tell us more about that and how our listeners can contact you. Yeah, so we have a, uh, a, as you said, a masterclass, which is basically just from the very beginning, what is a syndication, what is passive investing, all the way through to how do you wire, how do you analyze deals, how do you find sponsors, all that. Um, we, we partnered with TribeVest, the company I mentioned before. Um, they produced it and, and put it together, and it's basically uh, one of their guys who's actually a Harlem Globetrotter, so that's kind of interesting. Oh, nice. he, he interviewed me, and, and it's about an hour and 15 minutes long and, and gives a whole bunch of good information, I think. And that's free if you go to uh, www.leftfieldinvestors.com. On the top right, there's a little button that says Masterclass that'll get you the, the link there. And then if anyone wants to contact me personally, um, my email address is jim at leftfieldinvestors.com. And I'm happy to, uh, to set up a time to, to chat with anyone who wants to learn more about Left Field Investors or just wants to talk passive investing. Perfect. Jim, that's that's awesome. We're going to make sure to put all that stuff in the show notes where listeners can find it and they can reach out when they're ready to speak with you, man. Uh, but you know, it's been great having you on the show, Jim. Really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me today. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. 
Head over to iTunes to subscribe to the show. And while you're there, we really appreciate you leaving a rating and written review. If you have any questions or topics you'd like to hear on the show, connect with us on social media or through our website at twosmartassets.com. We look forward to speaking to each and every one of you. Talk to you soon.